0: We have a lot to talk about today, especially some big news from Amazon.
1: Yeah, this was a very ambitious product that aimed to give users a holistic view of their health and wellness. What do you think of the John Bot?
2: Love the John Bot. Let's <laughs> just mail it in. <laughs> uh, I hate those guys, uh, and I would wait. The clones? I or you us? hate the clones or us, <laughs> or both? <laughs>
3: Hello and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop.
1: And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook.
3: How's it going, John?
1: Hanging in there. How are you doing?
3: Just having a hard time getting into it today.
1: It's the rainy weather.
3: It's the rainy weather. I know we had that false Seattle spring and now it's hit us with the winter again. And it's just like, I'm a little down. And we've been covering AI so much lately. I've just been thinking, you know, wouldn't it be nice on days like this if I could just turn our job over to the bots. And so I thought we'd actually give that a try. Let's just try about a minute and a half here and see, see how this goes.
0: Welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We're coming to you from Seattle, where we get to report each day on what's happening around us in technology, business, and innovation. What happens here matters everywhere. And every week on this show, we talk about some of the most interesting stories in the news. We have a lot to talk about today, especially some big news from Amazon. That's right, Todd.
1: Amazon made some surprising announcements this week that could have a huge impact on its future and the future of technology
0: in general. Let's start with the first one. Amazon is discontinuing its halo line of health and fitness devices. This is the product that Amazon launched in 2020, which included a wristband that tracked your activity, sleep, body fat, and even your tone of voice.
1: Yeah, this was a very ambitious product that aimed to give users a holistic view of their health and wellness. But it also faced a lot of criticism and skepticism
0: from consumers and experts who questioned its accuracy, privacy, and usefulness. And apparently, it didn't sell very well either. According to reports, Amazon only sold about 200,000 Halo devices in the US since its launch, which is a tiny fraction of the market share that rivals like Fitbit and Apple have. So, Amazon decided to pull the plug on Halo
1: and focus on other areas of healthcare, such as its online pharmacy, telemedicine
0: service, and wearable devices for employees. I think this is a smart move by Amazon. Halo was a risky bet that didn't pay off, and it was probably distracting them from their core businesses and strengths.
1: That's true. Remember the fire phone? The dash button? The echo look?
0: Oh yeah, those were some epic fails by Amazon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right.
3: Well, okay, I can explain what that was. It's even more advanced than you might think, just from hearing it. I also want to say we've got Kurt Schlosser, GeekWire reporter here, who's known us for years, who can be sort of a neutral third party in terms of his assessment of the accuracy. But first, John, what do you think of the John bot?
1: Love the John bot. Let's just (laughs) mail it in. (laughs) It's pretty good. I mean, it's pretty accurate. It's got the right tone and inflection. It also had a little bit more of my style. I think we're a little more skeptical and it's interesting though, that when they were mentioning the devices that have been failures for Amazon, I think I would mention the fire phone and I probably would mention the dash buttons, but what was the other one? The echo look, the echo. Look. Yeah. the, the echo echo look. Look. Yeah. Like that one's not in my repertoire.
3: That was like where they would look at your style. I think Kurt wrote about that one or Taylor, but okay. Yeah. So I want to explain so, what it is in a second. But, cool. Yeah. 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 So first off good job, so, Kurt, what are, what are your thoughts on the just the accuracy of the tone of voice of these AI clones? And I'll explain in a second what they are, but they're AI clones of our voice.
2: Uh, I hate those guys. Uh, <laughs> and I would... Wait, the clones or you us? Hate the clones or us, <laughs> or both? <laughs> if, if that's the tone that I was presented with when I met you two 20 years ago, I would not know you now. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah the information was there the delivery of the news but all of the personality was gone uh at least for me knowing you um so you know maybe that would work if the GeekWire podcast was broadcasting in russia and you were just trying to get the news out <laughs> but as far as i'm concerned those guys sounded like tech d bags yeah we really want to go big in russia that's our next market we really want to <laughs> penetrate
1: I doesn't have any laughing. I mean, we tend to laugh a little bit and have a good time on this show, I, I think. And Correct. like there's none of that. So I, that that would be hard to replicate.
3: Well, I don't know. Okay. So let me explain what it was. And then I want to offer my take, because I've been working on this for a little bit. So-
1: Todd, you surprised me, by the way. I thought we were going to do this as a completely separate episode in the future. So I, think I knew you can. were working on this, but I thought this was going to be a a future episode but this is fun because now i'm i was a little uh taken aback here which is great
3: we relaunched our bot or not series this week and it's underwritten by google cloud and we're grateful to have them aboard as a supporter to allow us to do this independent editorial project really exploring the the line between humanity and ai and i do want to do like a story about this effort that i went through to try and get the podcast in our voices, and I can explain to you now what it is, but I also wanna bring in some experts for that story. So I just wanted to sort of talk about the process as I'm going through it. So the voices were from a company called Eleven Labs. And this was one that was used by Joanna Stern, the Wall Street Journal technology columnist recently. So the way it works is you upload samples of your own voice. Now you have to have the permission of the person that you're uploading the samples of. So John, I kind of got
1: mine. Sorry.
3: (laughs) I kind of skirted the rules a little bit there. I assumed that I could, you know, afterward, after the fact, get permission from you. Yeah, you have permission. Yeah, exactly. So the way it works is you can move a couple of sliders in terms of accuracy and inflection. And it was much, much harder to replicate my voice.
2: It's because you're already a robot. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. You actually work on this kind of stuff and make sure you have a good podcast voice. They, they have the Ohio Midwestern voice exactly broadcast voice down. So they
3: do exactly. So for me, it took me moving the sliders and even in the end, I felt like mine sounded bored. That was Taylor Soper, our managing editor's response. Like I sounded bored to him. Now, yours john i put in the bare minimum amount of training audio i put in like five files of five minutes each and boom immediately that was the result i didn't even have to tweak the sliders those were the default settings it just had you and i gotta say to my ears john having listened to you for many years i'd say yours is 90 percent there
1: it's close i mean i felt it sounded like me
3: it could have fooled me it was really remarkable to me okay but here's the other thing about that minute and a half segment that we just listened to. That script was written by Microsoft Bing. Here's the prompt that I gave Bing Script a 10 minute Geekwire podcast segment in which Geekwire co founders Todd Bishop and John Cook discuss the latest Amazon news. Amazon discontinuing its Halo line. Amazon CEO, Andy Jassy, saying that the company is working to make Alexa more interactive and conversational using its own generative AI model, similar to those that power ChatGPT and Amazon's Q1 2023 earnings. Script, Todd and John talking as longtime journalists and colleagues in a casual and lighthearted yet informative and enlightening manner. <laughs> <laughs> and so the interesting thing is when you go into Bing and you hit like regenerate, it does alternate versions of this, like I've got four or five or six different versions of this script, some of them going into those other stories. Now, here's the thing, it threw in, and I feel like we need to say this almost out of full disclosure, inaccurate information into that segment. I could not find anywhere online the report that it referenced that Amazon only sold 200,000 of the Halo devices. I couldn't find that anywhere. And then toward the end, it also referenced something about Amazon sticking to its own healthcare services and the wearables for employees. Couldn't find that. And so you're dealing with this kind of like, it's almost there on both respects, the accuracy of the automated script and the voices. You can just sort of see this almost like emerging out of the soil. And we're just looking at this AI poking its head through the dirt and we're not quite sure what it is but it's there it's there and it's coming you know
1: so did you give it any of our previous podcasts no did well you, you did not feed any of that audio
3: well so yes to train the voices i did
1: okay but not for the content no to power the script no i i because the I, script the intro sounds a oh, lot like the intro i'm sorry I'm sorry. The Geekwire podcast.
3: I'm glad you brought that up. I did write that. That's very important to point out. The content itself, everything after it happens here, matters everywhere, and the banter that we give at the beginning of the show is the script from Bing. Okay. It it did not write that intro. I'm okay because really I was like, wow,
1: out. they they, got it, they no. nailed it.
3: I wrote the first two sentences.
1: You wrote the intro. Then you took a few news stories and you said to Bing you said, hey, these are the news stories we're interested in. Do this in the style of John Cook and Todd Bishop on the GeekWire podcast. And then it generated a script, and then you fed that script to 11 Labs?
3: Exactly. After I had trained the voices.
1: Okay. How long did this all take?
3: Oh, about four or five hours, but in part because I'm like figuring this stuff out as I go along. And my first attempts to train my own clone voice were not very successful. And I actually started from scratch.
1: Todd, you're also a perfectionist. So I can imagine that you were trying to get your voice as perfect as it could
3: be. Uh, Frankly, after hearing yours, I was like, well, wait, I know it's possible to get relatively close. And so I kept trying and trying. And actually, it was interesting. The voice that ended up being the most accurate for me had less training audio than the prior voice that I tried, which actually sounded kind of like a combination of me and Scott Pelley, you know, the 60 minutes correspondent. Like at the end of every sentence, it would go into his sort of deep baritone at the trailing end of it. It was really weird. At any rate, we're not quite there yet. Kurt, you're checked out on on this, the whole idea of AI being able to replace us.
2: Yeah, I like humans. Uh, I I like you two as humans. No, I think it's interesting. And I think it's interesting that the difference between how you had to work on your voice as opposed to John's, I wonder what that's all about. I think it's your own ear more than anything, right?
3: I don't know. I played it for Taylor. I played the clips for Taylor and he was like, I wasn't close. I sounded just off. And John's was like, whoa,
2: that could have been John. Can you grab the slider and go in like a really radical direction and make your voice like female or?
1: Yeah. Could it be John with a Southern accent?
3: I'm sure it could. (laughs) I didn't see that option in the interface. (laughs) It's more like how accurate it is and then how variable it is. And the more variability you add, that increases the inflection in the tone of voice. It also makes it just a lot more random. Like you would play it one time and it would have the inflection right. And you play it another time and it would just be totally wrong. So it's a really interesting early technology. You can just tell using this stuff, just how nascent it is. But at the same time, you can tell where it's headed and how much promise it could have. I think in two, three years, maybe less, frankly, I think you could probably come much, much closer to replicating a human conversation. And I want to go back now, as soon as you said that, John, that's the cool part about all this for me is like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. What if I had put in the script? Laughter, you know, like in brackets, mm-hmm. maybe it would have figured that out. Ha, I don't know.
2: What happens here matters everywhere. Ding, dang it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you can see the the potential applications for this. I think there was a story posted in our Slack channel this week about drive-through technology where it's an AI bot that's conversing with the person in their car ordering from that device. And that's pretty interesting because it solves a real labor issue. The restaurant's really struggling to find labor and allows those people in the restaurant to do additional work. But can you imagine having, in that case, it doesn't really matter what the voice is. It just needs to be able to pick up on the cues and communicate. And the, I would guess the universe of language that people are going to come across in the Hardee's or Arby's or McDonald's is pretty limited. So boy, you can really imagine that having an impact just in that one small sphere, let alone the other areas where this could really take off.
3: Yeah. Podcasting is probably more of the advanced application in terms of the spectrum of things that AI is going to be used for. So.
1: Very all right. cool. That was fun.
3: Coming up next, Kurt Schlosser is here because he went down to the Amazon campus this week on a very pivotal day, an important day in Amazon history. We'll talk about that coming up next as humans on the GeekWire podcast.
2: Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's
3: competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook and GeekWire reporter Kurt Schlosser is joining us now. Kurt, it was returned to office week on the Amazon campus. And you were there on what I think was the peak day, Wednesday. People aren't going to be in on Monday, Tuesday, they were still ramping up, but it felt like Wednesday was the day that Amazon employees were back at the headquarters in Seattle. Can you give us a sense for what it was like?
2: It felt like old times. If old times were just three years ago, you know, we had glorious spring weather here midweek this week, as opposed to what we have today. And I think that that added a sense of enthusiasm, at least on, uh, you know, on people's faces and the movement between buildings, the office towers, people move between those they move between the spheres, all the restaurants and food trucks. So if it was a gloomy day, I think that would have made it feel like, oh, we got to go back to work, but instead it was, it was a really nice morning and afternoon. And that allowed me to get down there and move around and see quite a bit of the activity. And there was plenty, there were people on bikes, scooters, the dogs were everywhere. The Plaza was kind of hopping with the banana stand and loud music and a lot of tourists taking pictures.
3: It's interesting because this was a little bit begrudging on the part of a lot of Amazon employees. They didn't want to be there. And well, not everybody wanted to be there, let's say.
2: Yeah, that's what we've been hearing for, for several weeks uh, since Andy Jassy made this announcement back in February. People got quite comfortable at home, and I don't know if sunshine is enough reason to go into the office. Um, I I did. It seems talk like to a it's
1: not a reason to go into the office. Like, <laughs> wouldn't you rather be at home walking your dog and sitting on your back porch? And, I mean, those spheres are nice in downtown Seattle, but uh, hey. There are a
2: lot of amenities down there, and I do think there is something to be said about seeing – friends and coworkers who, who you had a relationship with pre COVID, maybe some new coworkers who you haven't even met except through zoom. I got sort of that vibe. I, you know, I was doing a lot of overhearing because there's not a lot of talking to Amazonians when you're trying to be a reporter, people hugging, you know, it's just your first day back. How's it feel? People grumbling about the commute. It's going to take me an hour to get home. A woman on a bike who I stopped, I asked, you know, she was, she looked very happy. She just got off her bike in front of Starbucks. I'm like, are you excited to be back? She goes, no, (laughs) (laughs) she goes, she goes, well, it's okay. There's a lot of energy and stuff. So she had been there for a couple of days. I just think time is going to help with that a little bit. I don't know whether Mondays will get any better or Fridays, the small businesses around there would still like to see five days a week for sure.
3: You checked in with a doggy. Daycare happy hour place that actually in and of itself kind of blew my mind. You had talked with the owner of this place back when there were no employees around, and then you checked back in this past week. What was it like for that business and for other small business owners around?
2: Well, yeah, I checked in as it's uh, called Martha's Garden, is the name of this place. It's dog daycare. You can drop off your dog for the day, and then you can also come back at happy hour and have a beer or something while you're watching your dog run around with other dogs. And she was in a great mood. In February, she was one of the people I spoke to about whether she was optimistic about three days a week because it was a relatively new business. Her partner, ironically, had just been laid off by Amazon. So she had a, you know, a lot of mixed feelings about whether her new business in South Lake Union was going to be a hit. And then on Wednesday, she was happy to chat. She said, I've seen a lot of new faces, a lot of new dogs and As we know, um, there are plenty of dogs in South Lake Union, so you know it kind of, kind of mirrored what I was seeing at other businesses. The foot traffic had increased; uh, a lot of people browsing. People uh, at one business they were grumbling about the parking garages being all filled, which means there's people there. I talked to a security guard in front of Starbucks who has been working that building for about six months, and he said more people are smiling, Mm. Um, and he said that. It's kind of like a show of force, safety and numbers type thing, where he thinks that problems sort of moved in when people, workers moved out, and he mm-hmm. thinks that this will change that.
3: It's interesting, John, you and I have talked a lot about this, whether this is going to be a trend or whether we're just going to see a bifurcation of the tech market. And just recently we saw Redfin announce a similar return to office guideline where for a certain amount of days a week, its employees will need to be back. And also DocuSign, which has a big presence here in Seattle, announced something similar. It feels to me like this is not so much a trend as it is a division that's starting to happen between the in-office companies and the fully remote companies.
1: I think that's right. I think companies are choosing a path and there's not one correct path here or at least maybe we don't know which will be the correct path. And I think companies are adjusting based on what types of businesses they are. It's interesting you mentioned DocuSign because the same week that they announced their return to the office plan, they also put a report out and our reporter, Nate Beck covered this, talking about all the benefits of remote work. And (laughs) according to that research, they said three quarters of the business executives polled agreed that flexibility to work at any time and from any location has boosted productivity. <laughs> so there is,
2: it's
1: kind of <laughs> ironic that they're like, get back in the office. But at the same time, we're seeing a boost in product productivity for those that are working remote. It's also, in, and Zillow has talked about this, Zillow has very much moved to what they call their cloud HQ model, where they are allowing people to work from anywhere. It has allowed companies to diversify their workforce and hire from a very different labor pool, which is one of the great benefits of remote work, which is more of a challenge in a place like Seattle, where it's not the most diverse population. So there are definitely benefits on both sides of this discussion. Todd, you know, we often like to develop story ideas out of the podcast. Here's one that's been on my mind that I haven't had time to post in Slack. But there's been data that a company, I think it's out of Toronto, has been tracking cell phone data in downtown locations.
3: Did you see this story? In Axios this morning, yeah.
1: Yeah. And they've been looking at the patterns of what's happening based on cell phone traffic. I think we should do an analysis of what happened before May 1st when Amazon returned and look at that on June 1st or July 1st and look at the trends on just potentially the impact of Amazon's announcement coming into downtown Seattle and what we see in the patterns as it relates to cell phone usage. And then compare that to other cities. My gut is saying that Seattle is going to have the biggest jump in that increase of cell phone data traffic in downtown Seattle in that period. Because what other city has the biggest, number of employees that have been mandated to come back to a downtown core like Seattle that has been as remote as Seattle has been. So I think we should look at that and and dive into that.
3: I agree. And certainly the Bay Area has people coming back to the office in the tech sector, but you've got this concentrated petri dish of Amazon employees coming back to South Lake Union and the Denny Triangle. And I think you're right, John. I think that'd be fascinating to see. So, Kurt, you've also talked with some employees who requested anonymity so they could vent without losing their jobs, basically. And that there would never are people. Happen. <laughs> <laughs> there are there are people who are just not happy with this. One of them told you that their team is ninety percent remote, so going into the office for a specific two or three days a week is not productive. And another said that one way to create some semblance of work-life balance was to cut out the commute adding hours of unproductive commuting eliminates that work-life balance. I could see where this is going to get some people to just leave the company, which frankly may be something that Amazon wants at this point.
2: Yeah. These employees I spoke to are longtime Amazonians, like a good amount of years and have stayed loyal through thick and thin. And it's pushed some of these people to a a grumpy level that makes them consider uh, doing something else. They all seem to agree that productivity was not the issue when it came to being at home versus being in the office. And most of them had teams that were spread across different cities or time zones and sitting alone in a conference room in South Lake union didn't make any difference. You could do that at home.
3: And the conference calls are happening on chime regardless, right? Right. Whether you're in the office or not, those calls are happening in the office. And I understand Jassy's point is that if you're in the office, you're going to have that spontaneous interaction after the meeting, or you're going to pop by and happen to run into somebody in the hallway. And that's how innovation is catalyzed. And I I get that. I just think it's just a fascinating time that we're at where you've got these multiple different philosophies.
1: Yeah. I did hear from one person whose spouse works at Amazon and that person very reluctant to go into the office, but admit that there were some benefits they were already seeing as it related to that spontaneous interaction just in those first days and maybe it's the you know people are have the halo effect around them in terms of they're back in the office and it's been a while and it's almost like a reuniting but todd you know i've talked about this a lot on the podcast i do think that amazon is being very intentional here in terms of how they're laying people off and how they're bringing people to the office. In terms of a power grab. And I think there's more to the story here than just return to the office and just the layoffs. And they're taking advantage of a current situation to uh, regain control, which I guess that's what companies
2: do.
3: Well, hey, Kurt, I'm glad you were able to join us. Thank you for doing it.
2: Yeah, I'm glad to be home. Thank you for letting (laughs) me be here.
3: (laughs) Go out and enjoy some of that work-life balance this afternoon, would you, in this rainy weather? (laughs) (laughs) All right. That is GeekWire reporter Kurt Schlosser. We will be right back with a preview of the GeekWire
1: Awards. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold.
3: Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. Well, John, it's that time of year. The GeekWire Awards are coming up on May 18th at the Showbox Soto. How many years is this? Do you know that off the top of your head?
1: Well, it gets a little convoluted because, you know, this started as the Seattle 2.0 Awards started by Marcelo Calbucci, and we then kind of took ownership of it. So it, it's been going on a long time.
3: Yeah, at least at least 12 years.
1: 12 plus years. Yes. <laughs>
3: yes. So the whole idea here is to recognize people and companies and innovations emerging from the Pacific Northwest. We highlight each of them in different categories on GeekWire leading up to the awards. You can find out more, by the way, at geekwire.com awards. I know we may have a few tickets opening up. We're almost sold out, but check out that page and and that'll give you the info on potentially registering or, or being able to tune into the awards. John, we have a new category this year with some really fascinating and almost disturbing in one respect, (laughs) finalists, sustainable innovation of the year. Tell us about this one.
1: Yeah, well, we have seen a lot of interest in the startup community and the venture capital community around climate tech or innovations in the sustainability arena. So we added this as a category this year presented by Wilson Sincini. And it's a very interesting category because it spans a lot of the innovations you're seeing in the sustainability arena. So we have everything from electric aircraft to electric boats and pure watercraft to companies that are trying to clean up polluted and salty water at treatment plants. Uh, that's a company called Membrion that spun out of the University of Washington I should say there's a fusion energy company in there too. Fusion's very hot right now, Zap, Zap Energy. And the electric aircraft company you mentioned was Aviation, yep. Aviation, correct. But the company you mentioned that is maybe <laughs> the oddball company in the group is called Recompose. And we describe the technology as a planet-friendly alternative to burials and cremation. So Recompose uses organic technology to, yes, convert your human remains into soil over a 30-day period. So a little bit yeah. of an oddball uh, company w- it's, in the mix I there. I wouldn't but- say
3: oddball. I'd just say very unique. Very unique. Um, very this, unique. This, this is from startup. a story that, that Kurt Schlosser, who was just with us, wrote uh, back in June. He said, the body is placed in a receptacle with organic matter, such as straw and wood chips, and natural processes break everything down into about a cubic yard of soil, which is returned to families. Would you do this, Todd? I'm not quite in a position to answer that quite yet. Let me give it some thought. Okay, would I, your I really I don't
1: recommend that you do this. <laughs> I'd do this. Why not? You would do it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Wow,
3: oh, I love it. This is the kind of thing that emerges from this process because you're looking for the things that really stand out and are notable. Even as much as we do that every day. This is something where you can look at it over a longer time frame, put it into categories and really spotlight and understand different companies that are doing some crazy things. The other thing, John, that is always interesting about this process of the awards is the category of next tech Titan, because this is where you say, we're assessing not only where this company is today, but we're looking at their potential to become one of the pillars of the tech community. Tell us about this category this year.
1: Yeah, this is a category that's always a big category at the GeekWire Awards, presented by our partners at Stiefel Bank. And this one has also a very diverse group of companies. We have Flex, which is bringing a new model to warehouses and how warehouses are rolled out amongst uh, clients. Rec Room, which is the big virtual reality gaming platform. Group 14 Technologies, which is a battery company. So it's in the, as we were just talking about, in the sustainability space, but has raised a lot of monies from some big time players. And so they've made it into the Next Tech Titan category. Seek Out, which I think has been up for a number of awards in the past and is revolutionizing how people find talent for their organizations. And then finally, iSpot, which is kind of a hidden juggernaut of the Seattle tech community that I think gets overshadowed quite a bit because of the space it plays in, which is in the advertising arena and really a measurement company to measure advertising and especially in this world where a lot of streaming platforms are moving towards advertising it can do a lot of the detailed measurement in that arena so it's a competitor and taking on the nielsen platform so very interesting companies there from advertising to clean tech to warehousing and logistics It's a pretty open field. I think a lot of these companies are in very good positions and very unique. Of course, we're not going to reveal the winners here on the podcast. You have to show up at the GeekWire Awards on May 18th, where we announce these live on stage, but all very strong companies. And we should say, in terms of the process here, the community nominates companies there's then a judging panel made up of members of GeekWire plus community members who then winnow the field down to the five finalists in each category, and then we open it up to a public vote at that time. So it becomes open to anyone who can vote in the GeekWire community, and then we hold those ballots until May 18th and reveal the winners at the awards ceremony. So it's really a community-driven process. and our goal is always to have five great finalists that are worthy of winning. And I think in this category of Next Tech Titan, we have certainly have done that.
3: The other cool thing about the GeekWire Awards, as our events team and you, John, have evolved it over the years, is it is a show. I love this ceremony as a spectator, as an audience member. So
1: It's fun. We got a few, what we call them on the events team, surprise and delights that are coming up <laughs> <laughs> nice yes
3: also it should be noted astound business solutions has been our sponsor of this award ceremony john for many many years i think it might be our longest running sponsor of anything we
1: do absolutely they've been with us 10 years and we might wow. have a little surprise and delight plan for them this year so a big thanks to astound for all their support over the years
3: so be sure to check that out at geekwire.com awards it's Available not only in person, but streaming as well, if I Absolutely. understand it correctly.
1: Yep. If you can't get in and we are close to selling out, you can certainly tune in. Uh, the The ceremony will probably start around six thirty seven o'clock on Thursday, May 18th.
3: All right. That's geekwire.com slash awards. And that is the GeekWire podcast for this week. Thanks everybody for listening. Our show is edited by Kurt Milton. Our theme music is by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to GeekWire in your favorite podcast app. And we'll be back next week with another show. Until then, I'm Todd Bishop.
1: And I'm John Cook. Thanks for listening to GeekWire.